This is Farm Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet, and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. I'm Brian Thompson. In this month's programme, we'll be talking about the upcoming climate conference with the International Fund for Agricultural Development's climate chief, Romina Cavitassi. We'll be hearing from Malawi, where women are leading the way in the drive to create a thriving farm sector against the backdrop of increasingly severe weather and drought. Over in Bhutan, we have news fresh from the Himalayas, where Ugyan Wangchi explains that new adaptation techniques are helping farmers improve their families' food security sustainably. But first, I spoke with Christina Bauerman, a Michelin-starred chef based here in Rome, Italy. She supports Recipes for Change, an initiative by the International Fund for Agricultural Development, which brings celebrity chefs from around the world to cook traditional meals with farmers in developing countries. I would say Italian, the average Italian person, uh, may be different, uh, you know, as opposed to others. Uh, whenever you go to the grocery store, whenever there's still a lot of people who cook at home, and that's something that unfortunately is becoming rarer and rarer. Even in Italy, anyway, it's getting to that point. But we are trying to actually fight it because we need people cooking at home. We need people to show their kids how to cook a risotto or whatever it is because it's impossible in my brain, in my mind, in my culture that you actually purchase food, you put it probably in a microwave or sometimes not even that and you just eat it. You don't know where that food is coming from. It is, I would say, hostile or disrespectful toward people who literally spend like the entire day trying to make that food the best that they can. That brings me to working with IFAD and the recipes for change. Mm-hmm. You've, you've confronted the issues facing smallholder farmers in developing countries. How important is it for you to work with rural communities? I think that's the key. Whenever we talk about we, we, we talk about food all the time, God knows why. I mean, food is like in this society, in my society, in the one that I live in. Food should not be an issue, but it is. Uh, it's paradox. It's the paradox of nutrition. You know, there are millions of people who are overweight or, or they overeat, and there are others that are actually starving to death. But the point is that the more you educate people, whether you know they are in the Western, you know, countries or in the Eastern countries, uh, and the better your lifestyle will get. And the key to success and the key to actually make people aware of, uh, it's, it's more than food. It's literally being aware of their lives or how much they're worth, of their beliefs, is to cultivate uh, the farmer's culture. Farmers are the ones that will save the earth. They are not the chefs. You know, people say chefs will, will, will save the earth. No, farmers will. And uh, as far as a chef, you know, uh, as far as chefs are concerned, they are supposed and they are, for me, it's mandatory to support the rural communities. I have literally very close friends that I take their, you know, vegetables from and uh, I know how much passion and how much work they put into it. 
but I think it is also the government job to support the community. The more you support the patients, the more you support the farmers, the better it will be. But uh, as long as you consider the farmer, you know, just a, like a sort of a side problem, then that's an issue. For you and your experience working with, with farmers and suppliers like that, what, what is the most pressing issue facing um, small farmers right now, in your opinion? They, they don't make it. That's what the problem is. We give a lot of funds to a lot of other fields that are, you know, probably important. But for me, they're not as equally important as farmers. There's no way that I go to the grocery store and uh, see a watermelon that is sold at 10 cents per kilo. A question that I need to ask myself is, how is it possible that anything, anything in this society can cost 10 cents a kilo? So that means there's uh, like a broken ring in the chain. There is something that we need to do, and that's why I say it is important for us as consumers and as chefs to be aware of where our food comes from and who is farming what. But then at the same time, the government needs to intervene and say, you know what, keep on cultivating those artichokes. I will pay you this much money per year so that you can support yourself and you can keep on cultivating artichokes. Otherwise, what what is happening, especially in Italy, it's very evident in the south of Italy in particular, you have like uh, farmers that actually cultivate kiwi or mango or other fruits and vegetables that they don't don't belong to our culture, which is okay. I mean, I'm not against opening our borders to other cultures, but at the same time, we are losing ours. And so it is important that the farmers are supported, that they feel safe. They can feed themselves, they can feed their families, families keeping and working on stuff that belongs to us. So... What's, what's your next big project to, to, to wrap it up? What's the, the next big thing for Christina Bella? So I would say that probably my next, uh, my next, the one that I'm working on right now is to be very much aware of what I use in my restaurants and at home as well. And uh, trying to participate in order to be like a sort of model or inspirational model to other chefs in order to for them to be aware of what am I using, what am I doing, what is the organization nationwide or worldwide organization can help me out to understand exactly how am I going to move around. That's why I love Chef Manifesto. That's why I love uh, collaborating with uh, IFAD. Uh, because for me, it is uh, the starting point, educating. And educating is the, the first step toward a more, uh, you know, like a better awareness of uh, what we eat and where it comes from. That was Michelin-starred celebrity chef Christina Bauman talking to us at Farm Food Future. You can find out more about what the International Fund for Agricultural Development is all about by going to our website, www.ifad.org. And you can also find more about podcasts at the same address, forward slash podcast. Coming up is the world's annual climate summit called COP25. This is when governments come together to find a way out of the climate crisis.
Up until recently, farming didn't figure much in the discussions or the action plans that are being pulled together. But that's changing, according to IFAD's climate lead, Romina Cavitasi. I asked her why this time the 25th Conference of the Parties, COP25, of the UN's Framework Convention on Climate Change is so important. I think this is a crucial momentum for the climate agenda in the world, following up the climate summit that just happened in New York, but also the climate strikes that uh, was started one year and a half ago and which is getting a lot of uh, attention. So climate is in the news every single day, and the summit just happened in New York, where a lot of action has been requested, particularly for agriculture, is um, uh, action for adaptation. But agriculture has finally been recognised, not only for adaptation, but also for mitigation. So it's been recognised as a, a contributor to climate change in terms uh, of emissions, because uh, overall it contributes when you calculate also livestock and forestry for about 24% of emissions, but if properly managed, it can also contribute tremendously to uh, mitigation. So thanks to the Coronivia agreement that was reached at the COP23 and that is now agriculture is officially recognized as uh, one crucial sector that can contribute to to reducing the emission and to help people adapting to climate change. Also, I think for this COP, it would be particularly important the following up uh, dialogue and actions to the IPCC report that was just released where it was clear the importance of agriculture as well in terms of uh, land use, in terms of how to use agriculture for fertilizers and chemicals, uh, precision agriculture, and also for the livestock sector. Particularly important is also the food system. So it's the merging of the concept of climate for agriculture and the way that uh, determines access to food changing diets and, um, and also how we produce food because the food comes from agriculture. So in that sense, it is one key sector. So, I mean, wh- why should the smallholder farmers, a long way away probably from the big meeting of the UN in Santiago, why should they care about what this meeting is going to achieve? What could it achieve for them and how could it benefit them? Well, mainly it's the policies that are determined at these big meetings, such as the National Adaptation Plans and NDCs, the Nationally Determined Contributions, which determines also what is uh, put in place in the countries, but also in more practical terms, the money that we mobilise to support the smallholder farmers, particularly in developing countries. So in that regard, they should be interested. So what in particular will the International Fund for Agricultural Development be promoting at COP25? IFAD will promote resource mobilisation for farmers based on evidence that and lessons that we've learned thanks to the Adaptation for Smallholder Agricultural Programme that, uh, that started in IFAD in 2012, and thanks to which we have promoted uh, adaptation actions for um, agriculture for smallholder farmers in a number of countries. We've targeted 6 million um, farmers And it's been a very successful experience because in terms of also financing mechanism, it was quite revolutionary because we funded, thanks to grants, adaptation in agriculture. So uh, farmers could actually merge uh, development objectives uh, that were funded through loans, through the program of loans and grants of IFAD, together with 
granting system for adaptation, so specifically for adaptation. Slowly within the, the ASAP program, we also move towards scaling up the experience that were successful, the lessons that we had learned, and also moving more towards uh, the mainstreaming uh, agenda because IFAD is also promoting the a more sensitive um, projects for nutrition, so projects that are nutrition-sensitive, uh, nutrition youth, uh, gender equality, and also indigenous people. So in this regard, having like a concrete in incorporated um, agenda, not just thinking boxes, but really thinking through what are the key elements for uh, a successful development approach that uh, allows for adaptation and also mitigation. With human being at the centre of our objectives is what we will be promoting. We will do this also through the Climate Action Report, which is our flagship publication that started in 2018 and that will be released uh, right before the, um, uh, the COP. And where all the actions that we've been taking in IFAD to change our business model to really incorporate climate uh, and environment issue uh, will be released and presented. Working with farmers in developing countries to help them adapt to climate change, which are the ones that have worked best across the, mm. the, across the board? That is a quite a, an, in, an interesting question because what is uh, very complicated with adaptation is that it's very context specific. So what is ad adaptation in uh, in Vietnam, in the mountainous region of Vietnam, is not adaptation in, in Zambia, for example. Uh, and so it's it's very context specific. So we've had uh, the richness of uh, IFAD is precisely that we have been able to test. Uh, what works in the different contexts and in the different countries given their climatic patterns and given their um, uh, livelihood style and social settings. Uh, recently we've also been promoting a lot of um, uh, energy using renewable uh, energy technology which is proved to be quite a successful um, experience, in, for example, for irrigation in uh, a number of countries in uh, Asia, but also in Africa. But examples are very many and, uh, and they are very context-specific. But you know, some things are, are, in fact, are very simple. For example, in, in some cases, just getting the fertilizers at the right time it's crucial because if you apply fertilizer when it's too late, then you, you're not going to get anything out of it. So in some countries, for example, is the, the subsidies through which they, pro they provide the fertilizers is so uh, complicated and, and slow that people get them when it's too late for their growing season. So at that point, they're, they're worthless. And that, it's, in fact, is one also of the things that is coming out of the IPCC report. So just simply helping them to get them at the right time or same for seeds or knowing what's the, the, rain, the rainy season. That's also quite something because of the late onset of rain or false onset sometimes. So they plant, but then it fails because it, it started, but then it stopped again. So also having the weather forecast working, it's something that can be done because they have um, agrometeorological agrometeor stations and it would help a lot uh, for them to know, OK, the, the rainy season is coming, now it's time to plant. So mobile technologies are an important part of the solutions that you're presenting Definitely, to. yes. What would be the ideal outcome from this COP for 
smallholder farmers in developing countries? So for me, the ideal outcome would be that countries commit to some concrete actions and they stick to the actions, and also that the amount of money that are expected to be mobilized for climate will actually become a reality so that we can actually uh, take action and, uh, and make things work. Thanks to Romina Cavitassi telling us there about the UN's climate conference and what to be watching for. I'm Brian Thompson and this is Farm Food Future. Coming up, we hear how female farmers in Malawi are making a difference in the fight against climate change. Agricultural development needs to bring everyone along for the ride. That most importantly includes women, who more often than not are responsible for managing family farms. Each year, the International Fund for Agricultural Development, IFAD, through its gender awards, recognises projects that have put in place innovative approaches to address gender inequalities and empower women. This year's awards went to projects in Cameroon, Guatemala, Pakistan and Turkey. Also winning an IFAD Gender Award was the Sustainable Agriculture Production Programme in Malawi. With the help of the project, women now make up 30% of the decision-making bodies at village and district level. In terms of the project's farmer business schools, more than 10,000 women, around 61% of participants, are female. Add to that the 20,000-plus rocket stoves, which use half as much wood as before, and we see a huge improvement in the amount of time women have to put into other more productive areas of their families' lives. Kenneth Chawula is the gender focal point at the project. He spoke to Luca Mengini about how climate change is also affecting the lives of smallholder farmers in Malawi. He also explained how the project is helping families farm water smart. But first, Luca asked about how this gender award-winning project is bringing women to the forefront in farming. Women in this part of Africa play a very crucial role in agriculture. Uh, most of the women provide at least 70%, over 70% of the agricultural labor force. And most of them are full-time farmers. The only source of livelihood yeah. is, uh, is uh, agriculture. But at the same time, women, women who are married, for example, in most cases, they are the ones who, are, who perform agricultural tasks because the men maybe choose other off-farm activities to fend for income or to fend for the household, which leaves the woman as the main custodian of the, of the farm. So by targeting the women, we are targeting the right people because if they have the skills, if they have the know-how, how to deal with the climate change issues, uh, then we will win the battle because they are mostly they are full-time farmers as opposed to their male counterparts. But also, in most cases, we have what we call female-headed households. These female-headed households have the responsibility to feed their children, to make sure that they're going to school. So the only way to help them is to give them, to equip them with, with techniques or with the knowledge and the skills on how to address climate change issues so that at the end of the day they are able to produce enough uh, with which they can feed their children and in case they have supplies they should be able to sell 
and uh, fend for their children, we can pay school fees for their children, clothes, and maybe buy other additional food supplements to contribute to the nutrition status of the household. How is climate change impacting farmers in your project area? There is unpredictable weather pattern in terms of rainfall. Since our, our agriculture is dependent on rain-fed agriculture, where most of our farmers, over 90%, are practicing rain-fed agriculture. So any change in terms of the onset of the rains, but also the intensity of the rains, the duration of the raining period, greatly affect uh, crops. So most of the farmers in this case are affected in terms of um, yields are going down as a result of um, low, rainfall, low rainfall. But also in the process, households become food insecure because they cannot produce enough for their households. But also this is also coming with deteriorating uh, agro-biodiversity or biodiversity where some of the species are, are disappearing. As a result, diversity in terms of our agriculture is, uh, is changing to the detriment of the nutrition security for most of households. But also there has been an advent of uh, unforeseen or, or new pests for example, in my country, we have the fall armyworm, which has just appeared from nowhere, and it is devastating most of the crops. So as a result, you see that the yields are going down. Coming to livestock, most of the pastures that we use to feed these livestock are also affected, such that livestock feed formulation becomes a problem. So in a nutshell, climate change is affecting agriculture in a big way in my country. Agriculture uses more water than any other sector of the economy. What are you doing to use water more wisely? Water is fundamental for agriculture development because crops cannot grow without water. So in cases where we have dry spells, we promote agriculture technologies that are water harvesting in nature. Number one, we use peat planting that we are promoting in reward sites where they persistently have dry spells. So when farmers plant in these pits, these pits are able to hold water for some time during the dry spells such that they even realize bumper yields or there is a dry spell. Another way is we use box ridges. Box ridges are able to trap water for a longer time as compared to when we are just planting on the plain or in the, on the ridges without box ridges. So these will hold water for some time which is utilized by the, the crop until it matures. But also we are promoting uh, conservation agriculture and one of the principles of conservation agriculture is uh, uh, what we call ground cover. So we use residues to cover the soil which reduces uh, the loss through evaporation of water. Then in the process the, 
the residues will keep the moisture for the crop and the, the, the crop will utilize it uh, until maybe the next uh, rainy day. So these are some of the ways how we're using water. And when it comes to domestic water, we are also promoting what we call integrated homestead farming, where we promote that the water that has been used for domestic use, for example, if farmers maybe have washed some plates and the like, they are able to recycle the water and use it to grow vegetables around the homestead. And uh, this is uh, addressing the issue of um, the the availability of um, sources of nutrients for farming households. So in a way, uh, the water harvesting technologies that we are promoting at the moment are helping. In some cases, for farmers that, um, that can afford, we are promoting irrigation using what we call drip irrigation as opposed mm -hmm. to open surface or open canal irrigation where a little amount of water can be used to grow crops because we use precision uh, technique where water is just uh, given to to the the crop for the crop to grow yeah. That was Kenneth Chawula, Gender Focal Point at the Gender Award-winning Sustainable Agriculture Production Programme in Malawi, talking to Luca Mengini. Coming up, we head off to Bhutan to find out how farmers there are coping with the climate crisis. This is Farm Food Future with the International Fund for Agricultural Development, and I'm Brian Thompson. Bhutan is a mountainous country nestled within the Himalayas, bordered by India and China. Most of the population of Bhutan depend on farming to make a living. We visited the community of Bumdaling in the eastern province of Trashi Yangtze. There, I met up with Ugyen Wangshi, Agricultural Production Manager for the IFAD-funded project Kalep, which stands for the Commercial Agriculture Resilience and Livelihood Programme. He explained that erratic rain, hailstorms and flash floods are all coming thicker and faster than ever before. This is hitting farmers' production. Chilies grown in the district are prized throughout Bhutan, but heavy rains are jeopardising production. Kalep, with the support of IFAD, is encouraging farmers to use solar dryers, which allows them to dry and ship to market more chilli more quickly, and also in a carbon-neutral way. I asked Ugyen what else they're doing to help farmers adapt to life on the climate front line. So in this uh, locality, Bomdeling, they have also uh, some kind of uh, soil erosions, landslides. So for their medication purposes, programs where they have planted with uh, so many uh, grass slips, they can protect them being slipped away. So likewise, for the climate adaptation purposes during the uh, drought seasons, they had been supported with uh, uh, tolerance seeds, resilient seeds to be cultivated during the very dry season. You also mentioned renewable energy. Is that something else that's important? What are you doing with um, renewable energies here? With regard to renewable energy that is used for drying chili, that is uh, one of the technology uh, that is uh, generated by the support of Carlab Ifat to the Agriculture Research and Development Centre. They have come up with such kind of technology. It's uh, low-cost and uh, efficient. They can be able to uh, dry it over a week, uh, say around more than 100 kg inside that uh, low-cost folly house. 
So, I mean, w when we were driving in here, we, we passed, we looked down towards the river and we saw the impacts of major floods that happened here in 2003, two times. So, so can you just explain to us what were the impacts of the, of the floods? How did farmers have to adapt to those flash floods at that time? The Bomdiling Geok itself lies uh, quite near to the Bomdiling Chu, that is a river, so which is frequently uh, experiencing the uh, uh, landslide and uh, flash flood. So, in the past few years, uh, the farmers has uh, lost considerable amount of wetland to the uh, flash flood. So now farmers, so around. 20 to 30 percent of the wetland being left fallow in the riverbank where they can, uh, can't be able to cultivate any further because of those flash flood. So uh, the mitigation measures from the project site, we couldn't do much, but we, we have been uh, 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 supported with the land development in 2016-17. So the Yangtze District's agriculture sector has implemented for land development for this uh, flash flood areas to overcome, to uh, mitigate those uh, flash flood damages. The Kalat project has been running for, it's in its fourth year now. What, what are the, the main changes, what are the main benefits that smallholder farmers in this region have seen? Um, you know, they're, they're, being more econo they're being more environmentally sensitive, they're being more climate smart. Mm -hmm. Has that reaped rewards in terms of yields, in terms of income, in terms of improving their lives uh, in in the so commercial agriculture and uh, livelihood enhancement program uh, is based on two components that is uh, agriculture and livestock component where uh, much focus on value chain development in the value chain part so which I have mentioned earlier the chili production which is one of the cash earning income cash earning crops in this locality so the Tashiangtze districts, so farmers groups have initiated in pickling, making pickle out of uh, this chili and the selling of this uh, product. So that uh, can somehow fulfill in the value chain aspects. And the another one is livestock, dairy uh, value chain. So in dairy value chain, the farmers are supported with the dairy cattle, shed construction. There, uh, t uh, t transporting the uh, milk to the milk collection center where they process and sell the dairy products. So these are some of the uh, value chain aspects which uh, the commercial agriculture residents livelihood is focused on. Thanks to Ugyan working with smallholder farmers in Bhutan. Thanks to our production team, but most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farm Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories at www.ifad.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back in December with more news, this time from the UN's Climate Summit in Madrid. We'll be speaking to the movers and shakers, deciding how we can beat back the impacts of the climate crisis. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson and the team here at IFAD, thanks for listening.